for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set not before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement <clears throat> that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he, oh no, chastens, thank you, everyone. <laughs> Chastens. <laughs> all right, all right. Everyone he accepts as his son. <laughs> Endure hardship as, as discipline. God is treating you as his child. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of, of spirits and, and live? They disciplined, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God's discipline, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning and all of us getting to come together to worship and um, open up your word and uh, to do that together, and uh, we pray for Lockwood as he comes up here to um, give us his thoughts, and I just pray that you will be speaking through him while he's up here, and we thank you and love you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Check. Can you hear me? This is what happens when the inmates run the prison. Uh, so, uh, what I heard last week was uh, Brian Renner prayed for me to have a profound experience at <clears throat> my Molokai to Oahu race, and uh, I certainly had a profound experience. Uh, so thank you for praying for uh, the profound experience. Um, so I'm excited to talk about this tonight. It's been something, this scripture been, has been uh, a scripture that's been on my heart for a while, and I guess... I just want to sit down and share with you some thoughts that I've been having on it. Um, and the more I dig into it, the more I feel like the, tr the Lord has revealed biblical truth to me. I, um, I want to challenge you all as well to chew on it. Because it's, it's, it's a really important passage. I mean, this race that we're running through life is worth thinking about and being intentional about. So... This morning, I guess my goal is just to kind of communicate some of the things that I feel like the Lord has revealed to me, um, in addition to really challenging you to, to look into it a little bit more uh, yourself and to pray through it. 
So before I left uh, for Hawaii last week, Aubrey put a little piece of parchment paper into my Bible um, on which she had written a scripture probably like five or six years ago. I had no idea what the scripture was. She just wanted to give me something as I was running out the door. And I didn't actually open it until I got on the plane. Um, but once I opened it, it was Hebrews 12, 1 through 13. And ironically, I wouldn't say it's irony, but I had, I was, that was the exact passage that I had been uh, meditating on and really kind of praying through. So the Lord clearly has put this on my heart. And um, I'm looking forward to kind of sharing with you all um, this morning. I want to pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, uh, I pray for vulnerability this morning. I pray for, um, Lord, I pray that uh, what you've put on my heart just be revealed. Lord, I pray for the hearts and the minds of everyone this morning. Lord, you've given us truth in your word, and just, we are so grateful for the opportunity to talk about this truth. You've had, uh, throughout the history of the Bible, Father God, you've put people that we can take a look at flawed people, Lord, ultimately to, to point towards um, you, to point towards Jesus, the perfect mediator, Father God. And I just pray this morning that we can um, just take some of those people, take some of those examples, and take what you've written to, and, and, um, through the author of Hebrews in your word, just to, just to chew on. And in your name I pray, amen. So last time I, I spoke, I, uh, I spoke about Moses and the burning bush. And I, I don't know how many of you, you all are here, but I, I just want to kind of touch on three points that I, I spoke on because really it's, it was kind of like, um, it really was a catalyst for me going into Hebrews afterwards. So it's, it's kind of all married together. But um, so one of the major points of, of the burning bush was we talked about paradigm shifts and how the burning bush, a bush sitting there on fire that wasn't being consumed, was something supernatural that was happening uh, but it caused Moses to turn aside from his normal life, uh, not to ignore, but to lean into and kind of figure out what, hey, what is this going, what is going on right now? And Moses not only turned aside, but once he approached it, he had to submit to God everything. Uh, it wasn't on his terms. He gave up control and ultimately, you know, he, that was kind of like the catalyst for Moses then going back into Egypt and leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Another big thing was, Moses was uh, basically a, a foreshadowing of, of the once and future king, Jesus, you know, who came down. He was the mediator between God and the Hebrew people. Um, he, God used him to establish the law, um, which, which is really interesting to think about. I don't want to get too deep here, but the law was like a benchmark. It was something that, uh, for the people to live by, at the same time, it was something that was revealed the inadequacy of the people that we could, they could not um, that they could not live by. So ultimately, they needed a Savior. Um, it says in the Bible that there's no, none righteous, no, not one. So it ultimately kind of just set the way for Jesus Christ to come in to be the ultimate leader, uh, mediator. And then thirdly, lastly, I, I ended the sermon talking about the, con the consuming fire and how because of the blood of Christ being on us, we can exist. God is an awesome consuming fire, but we cannot exist in it without the blood of Christ being over us. It's like the Passover. They had to put the blood on the threshold of the door 
um, or I don't even know if the threshold is the right word, but they would put the blood so that he would pass over. Because otherwise, without the blood of Christ over us, we would be consumed by God's requirement for absolute perfection. So we cannot lose the heaviness and the weight of God's awesomeness. Um, so, so this morning, I just, you know, we are all here for a reason. Whether it be because we like the tent, we like getting together, we obviously enjoy each other. You can see the fellowship, we like singing happy birthday, doing game nights, whatever. We enjoy each other. Um, but I, I really truly feel that everyone is here for a reason. And one of those reasons um, is that you're choosing to embark on the race of life in one shape uh, or form. In some way, you're choosing to embark on this race. And I want to get into kind of talking a little bit in the text. Um, and really, the way that this is kind of broken down is, is, is I want to talk about, you know, why do we choose, why do we run this race? And then how do we run this race? And we're going to use uh, Jesus as an example. But just a little bit of context. In the book of Hebrews is, is really about, the author writes um, to the Hebrews really to encourage them because at this point it's, it's written you know, roughly from 40 to 70 A.D. So the kind of the initial buzz of Jesus is kind of like, okay, settling in a little bit. And so it is hard, you know, and this is before Rome has become a, really a Christian, you know, driven nation. At that point, I don't know if I would say they're a Christian nation. But, um, and it was before the temple, I think the temple fell in 70 A.D. Uh, the Jeru in Jerusalem. So, the, the wartime mentality of the new church is kind of wearing off and people are starting to kind of drift a little bit more through life without the vigilance and the energy that they once had. And so the book of Hebrews is really written to encourage and, and really it hits home for me because that's my battle. You know, my battle is so oftentimes with complacency and we're lulled to sleep oftentimes about the real true meaning and why do we run this race? We, we get so caught up in so many other races. But just a couple scriptures in Hebrews that talks about a little bit of this, um, of this life maybe without focus and vigilance. In Hebrews 2, 1, it says, We must pay, close, excuse me, we must pay, well, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. 12 through 13 says, Take care, brethren, lest there should be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In Hebrews 5.12 it says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God and you have to come uh, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. It's like once vigilant people now are needing to go back to the nipple to have food because they're not being able to swallow whole foods because they've just been lulled. They haven't been pursuing a relationship with God. So the book of Hebrews is written to, to, to talk about you know, some of the realities and brutalities of life and how that we can cope with them. So, so then, um, I'm going to get into the scripture, but one more thing. I think what's challenging for us is we live, I, I truly believe that our tolerance for pain in society today 
is lower than it's probably ever been in the history of the world. We have everything at our fingertips. We all have PhDs in everything. And if we don't know the answer to something, we pull up you know, the internet and find the answer to it. So we are super self-diagnosing. So we all struggle with control in some way, shape, or form, more so than ever, which really puts the idol right here. And, and I'm, it's my problem for sure. So we have become our own idols, and we worship ourselves. Um, and so this is even more of a, a so, so if anything, I implore you this morning to take a step back and say, look, what is the race that we are running? Are we racing ourselves to figure out how we can be the most comfortable? I mean, because essentially that it is. Like, we try to control everything. So, like, if there's a symptom here, we can diagnose it, and then we can treat it. And that's just kind of how, and I'm not trying to take away from anything that we've made in modern society from, you know, but I, I am saying that's just how we think. Um, oftentimes. So I just want to challenge you in that. Uh, it's so easy to get caught up in this race that is not the true race. And that's really what my, I want my talk to be about this morning. So in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So when they use the word, therefore, it's implying that they're bringing in something else. It's like kind of a conjunction. So what he's referring to, um, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in, in Hebrews 11, it talks about kind of the heroes of the Old Testament, heroes of the faith. It, it begins by defining what faith is. Uh, faith is the substance of things, not heard what the evidence of things not seen. So, you know, so it talks about... Um, uh, Moses, Abraham, Sarah, and Joseph, which is so cool. The more you dig into learning about these Old Testament heroes, you see how flawed they are, yet they're still heroes of the faith. So they're pointing to the, the king that is to come. They're, they're revealing, just like the law reveals, our utter need for Jesus as a savior because we are flawed human beings. But he uses, in, in chapter 11, he uses the heroes of the faith as an example. So Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So this is really cool because uh, it's, it's like if you watch the Olympics. Like, it's great to see someone win a race. At the same time, it's awesome to see a, rec a world record broken. And, it, I, I don't, and it's like when a world record is broken, there's been a benchmark set because it's on the shoulders of every athlete that has participated in that race prior to that. And so it's like whether there's techniques that were learned. It's whether, you know, oftentimes if you set your, your mind on a certain time to beat and you train for that, that's what you're going to beat. You're not, and that's your goal. And so it's like every single time like a world record is set, then the next athletes are like, okay, so how do I train hard and long enough to beat this record? And so we sit here on the shoulders of flawed human beings that have come before us that are like applauding us, that are cheering for us throughout this life journey. And so we are not alone. Um, and ultimately, Jesus came and ran the ultimate race. But we still, we have these heroes of the faith, these flawed human beings to have, that have come before us. So it's great to look. So, so since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly, so that we do not have to bear the weight of sin by which the enemy implores us to cling. 
Um, Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So let us rid ourselves of the sin that clings to us, that weighs us down so that we can run this race. For us not to live in the freedom that Christ has given us through his son is for us to neglect the gospel and the power of Christ and the cross. So we get so caught up in that that we revert back into slavery every single day. We revert back into these default races to make ourselves comfortable. And we're, we're missing the ultimate race. Run with endurance the race. Let's see, it says. And so it says, so let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, it's, what's interesting is, is getting into more long distance endurance racing, what happens, and I'll give you a little illustration of, of the race last week, the Molokai to Oahu race. So prior to this race, we're sitting here on the island of Molokai, which uh, is incredibly desolate um, for the most part and is very much old school Hawaii. And um, it's beautiful and incredibly peaceful. And you don't have, like we went from Waikiki to Molokai, which is like the stark contrast. It's unbelievable. Um, but before the race, we, we get in a big circle and say a prayer and it's just, it's an amazing moment. I, I got pretty emotional. Um, we prayed to Jesus and, 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 and how much gratitude we have for the opportunity to just get on a, and race a paddleboard and battle, you know, across an unbelievably uh, amazing, dangerous channel. Um, but what happens, so you're fired up. You, we, I, we just had this emotional experience, this prayer, and then you paddle out to these two buoys, which are, you know, just a couple hundred yards off offshore. And you can already see, like, there's a huge south swell in the water. So it was already pounding online. Your heart rate's up a little bit. And it's hot and flat, which is supposed to be a big downwind race opposite. So, but there is a major south swell in the water. Anyway, so we get out to the start line, and you're sitting next to your buddies that you've been racing against all year. And they lower the flag or shoot the gun. I think they lowered the flag at Molokai. And you take off. And so for those first, like, 20 minutes, your heart rate's just, like, through the roof. You know, you're caught up in everything that everybody's doing, and you're just, just trying to, I just, you just don't want to lose the opportunity to at least make a go at it if you can um, during the race. So you have to stay with the lead pack no matter what. And it's, it's crazy, but then about mile two or three, everyone starts separating a little bit, and your heart rate just starts slowly dropping. And really, it, it drops to that that place where you're somewhat comfortable, but you still have a threshold of pain. So all the training that you've put in before has been painful training, you know, to push yourself to be able to at least hold for as long as possible. Whoever can hold that threshold of pain for the longest and who has a higher threshold of pain wins the race, essentially. And so it's like when the endurance really comes in, um, the actual, the Greek word for, for race is agon, which, uh, which, Agony, the word agony comes from. So racing is it. So the life journey really is, is it's a race, and, and it it's could potentially be an agonizing race. Um, and the word endurance comes from the Greek word uh, hypomone, which is the quality of abiding under trials and suffering and discipline, which is pretty interesting. But ultimately, getting back to 
the end of, of that, that, that verse. It says, So, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So ultimately, God foreknew. He saw the finish line. He saw that if he could endure life on this earth, um, if he could fully take on as a perfect lamb the absolute wrath of God, which was nailed to him on the cross, every sin that ever happened to us was nailed to Jesus, then ultimately he knew that we could have true peace and salvation. So he foresaw that, and that was what allowed him to suffer through it because ultimately it's for us so that we could have his righteousness imputed to us. So as we race life, we have to keep in perspective what the finish, why are we racing, what the finish line looks like. So there is an, a, a perspective and a motivation of eternal joy. The other, the other motivation is while we are living this life, um, being completely justified by Christ on the cross, we are living, we are now, uh, we're living in the already but not yet. We are already as believers living a life uh, a, a battle of sanctification, growing closer to God in our imperfected bodies on this earth um, with our flesh. At the same time, um, you know, it, it, we are not in our glorified, perfected state that will only happen when we're in heaven. So we are in this battle, this journey, the journey of sanctification. But because of Christ and the cross, we can have peace with God. So we can exist in this consuming fire that God has over us, completely covered in Christ. So we can exist in this consuming fire and walk in peace with God knowing that we had a Savior go before us. I know I've been fairly redundant here, but it's so important. It gets back to the gospel. It really does. Um, so we, we can have, while we are on this journey, we have peace with God. So that is part of why we run the race, so that we can have fun, be fundamentally grounded and inspired and motivated by what Christ has done to live life in every day so that we can deal with trials and tribulations. But ultimately, also, we know what the end result is. We ultimately know we'll be in a glorified state. So, um, so that's why we run the race. So how do we run the race? We must train and prepare. I, I would never go to a race. No one in this room that's done anything athletic, athletically has ever done it without a practice. Have they? I mean, if, you, if I showed up and just did any sort of race, it'd be the most miserable. It was a pretty miserable experience last week, but it would be <laughs> the absolutely most miserable thing you've ever done because you just ha you're not geared up at all. So how do you train? Um, and so, you know, we train a lot of times. The, the, the whole point of training is, is to, to, to bring on that threshold of pain so that you can break down your muscles so that you can repair them and make yourself stronger for the next time. So it's really just a whole cyclical process of breaking down, breaking down, and repairing, repairing, and repairing. And that's what, essentially what life looks like. But ultimately, that will allow you to perform at your best. Say, so who, whoever can, can push himself the hardest in, their, in, in his or her training will ultimately be able to, to, to race the best because they have they've put themselves through that. Obviously, there's a lot of other factors that factor in um, to that. But, but that's, kind of, that's what endurance is. Breaking down to build up. And suffering is necessary if you ever want to make any gains. It's, it's necessary. So it's funny how like 
as we grow through life spiritually in our relationship with the Lord, we, we, we don't want anything to do with suffering oftentimes. We don't want anything to do with discipline or being disciplined. Um, and so now I'm going to read uh, verse 3. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is really important. So now the metaphor is switching more to father figure and discipline. It goes from the race to kind of father. And, and it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when approved by him. For the Lord disciplines the, ones he, the one he loves and chastises, chastises, Shane. I mispronounce gay words all the time. Uh, chastises every son whom he receives. Uh, verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we have respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they share, for they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Just like we were discussing. Um, verse 12, awesome verse. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without, without which no one will see the Lord. So there's two kind of major types of suffering here that I want to address. And then I want to talk about a couple practical things and one really dynamic thing. Um, the first is, is discipline. So there's really two major types of discipline. There's, there's self-discipline or that you kind of put yourself through, whether it be a routine, something that's, that's harder for you to do, but you, you make yourself do, obviously, so you can break yourself down and get stronger. Um, you know, whether it be interval-type workouts where you kind of totally push yourself in short periods of time to your ultimate limit over a longer period of time, rather than, and so, so instead of doing like a four-hour paddle, if I did an hour-long paddle and just did intervals and just, just destroyed myself, it'd be as equivalent to doing a four-hour paddle and killing myself. So it's still the same goal is the same to break yourself down so that you can experience repair and growth and become faster. And there's also fatherly chastisement. The other night, um, Lucille, my daughter, uh, would not go to sleep. And this is becoming somewhat of a routine. And I, I try to really be more oriented towards discipline when there's um, intentional rebellion where she knows exactly or intentional disobedience where she knows clearly what she's doing wrong. You know, obviously she can't fall asleep, and so she's having a hard time. But on the 25th time, I, I figured it was disobedience at that point. And so, like, I had warned her. I said, look, Lucille, if, if you get out of bed one more time, sweetheart, I'm going to have to discipline you. Do you want to be disciplined? No, sir. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, Dada. So sure enough, she's, she's stubborn. I don't know where she gets it from. <laughs> sure enough, she comes wandering out of the room, and I grab her, and I take her in her room, and I go, you know, Dada what dad had told you, and she goes, yes, dad, and, I, and you disobeyed him. You directly disobeyed me. Yes, dad. 
So I had to discipline her. And it was hard, you know, and, and I've had to do it quite a few times. Um, but so I put her in bed afterwards. Um, and usually I like to come in about 10 or 12 minutes later and just kind of one more time, let her know exactly why I disciplined her and then hug her and tell her I love her. So I came in and she's just kind of starting to fall asleep and she's perfectly tucked in with the little teddy bear perfectly under her arm. And I was like, Lucille, you know Dada doesn't like to discipline you. She goes, I know Dada. And, she go, and he goes, and you know Dada loves you and doesn't want to have to do it. And she goes, oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and I'm like, so let's just not do that again. I love you. And she's like, good night, Dada. But it was like, it was like she pushed me to, she wanted to know what my boundaries were. And she pushed me. And like, ultimately, she, not, she might not necessarily know why I disciplined her at that moment. But ultimately, as a father, I don't want to create certain entitlement issues. I, want, I don't want to create disobedience or disrespect or encourage that in any way. So look, I'm trying to figure out how to discipline a child. Every child is totally different. Both of our kids are going to be totally different, probably. My younger boy could be the exact opposite of Lucille. Lucille was like me. Um, so, so, but, but I guess the wisdom in that fatherly chastisement, just as, as believers, as we walk through life, look, there are consequences for our actual, actions, always. And, and, and the Father will discipline us because ultimately he knows, and he knows what our threshold for pain is. And ultimately he wants the greater good. And, and we might not ever see that until we get to heaven at times. So that, that's one type really of discipline. The other is more experiential discipline. Um, and I think I got a perfect example of this. I, I worked my butt off to go race last week. I put in the mileage. I did all the strength training. I felt like I was legitimately in a spot to contend. But one thing I wasn't factoring in was kind of the non-tangibles that you can't plan for. And I ended up getting really sick during the race. And so, and, and, and in hindsight, I, looking back on it, I can kind of like diagnose, okay, I could have done this differently, this, that differently. But you know what? It was something that happened, and it was absolute suffering. And it was experiential suffering that I did not foresee. So how many times, because we live, and I'm switching a little bit gears here, but because we live... Uh, in an imperfect state, we have suffering and things that come into our life that we cannot explain and will really ever know. We could try to justify them, but ultimately we may never be able to justify them. But those are kind of the experiential sufferings that happen in your life that ultimately, when you process and you're grounded on, um, grounded on the gospel, you can process, but ultimately you might not ever understand. But that ultimately leads to wisdom. Um, and yeah, no matter what I ever uh, could have done, I could have never understood, truly understood the experience that I had last week. So chalk one up for experience. Um, so there's a couple different ways that we can handle different suffering and discipline in our, wife, uh, in our lives. One of them is to totally be stoic, just to pretend like it didn't happen and to ignore it. And as we discussed in the burning bush, if you don't turn aside and lead into these paradigm shifting moments in your life, these events that take place or these disciplines that take place, you'll never really understand why and you'll never learn from them. Because um, ultimately, like, just like we said, why do you work out? You break down so that you can build up. So if you're not using these things, if you're just a stoic, that means you're not leaning into them. You're not really experiencing um, learning from them. The other really, really uh, struggle could be to be humanistic about it, to try to justify everything through reason or because you can't justify it it means it doesn't matter 
So we're, we, we often can become stoic or humanistic in the way that we view and process through disciplines and sufferings. Um, and neither, obviously, is the right approach. Just like I said earlier, we must lean in and maintain the perspective. And there's this really cool verse. Uh, I don't have it. I think it's Romans. Oh, yeah, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that is another, anytime you're going through anything, look up that Romans 5.1. And ultimately he's, he's building for whatever reason, whatever thing happens to your life, whether it is a suffering, whether it's a fatherly chastisement, discipline, you're going through it. So cling to that, knowing that it is producing character and perseverance and knowing that you can be grounded to a rock that is Jesus Christ. So three kind of practical takeaways from this is, is practical humility. Look, you're a child and you may not ever understand why the Lord disciplines you in some ways. And despair while being disciplined is always an act of, it's an act of arrogance. So to be just caught up in despair and not process through why you're being disciplined is not being humble. So practical, obe practical obedience, which is the second one, so there's practical humility, practical obedience, don't retreat from it. The worst thing that you can do sometimes is, is, is if a storm comes into your life, there's only two things that can happen when that storm comes. And say, say you're out and you're on a sailboat, right? You can put the sails up and you can grab onto that rudder and you can use that wind to get somewhere a lot faster, or you can't and be just absolutely lost or get overturned or whatever. So there's only, there's, there's no just, when storms come into your life, there's no just staying where you were. You either catch that wind or you're going to be going backwards. So just remember that. So that's the thing about being a stoic too. You can't be a stoic. You've got to lean into it. Um, and thirdly is, look, we have to have practical expectations. We have to know that like in this world that we live in of cultural complacency and being comfortable all the time, we have to know that circumstances are going to come in. You can't let life be dictated to you by your circumstances. You have to steadfast and hold true to, to what truth is. Um, but ultimately, the gas, like we're kind of talking about the engine here with the practical applications, but ultimately the gas at the end of the day is we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Just like Peter, when he was walking on water, whenever he lost sight of Jesus, he started sinking. And so we love to kind of get, look, there's, there's trendy Christianity. There's all these things that come alongside. And if it ever gets away from Jesus, you're taking your eyes off Jesus. And what are you going to do? You're going to start sinking. It's really practical. It's obvious. Like if you take your eyes off Jesus, you're going to start sinking. So whether it's getting caught up in this or caught up in that or whatever, whether they're good Christian people or not, if you're taking your eyes off Jesus, you're going to sink. Um, and lastly, it, the chapter is ended. Um, Hebrews 12, 27, it says, uh, yet once more indicates the removal of, of, of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that things cannot be shaken may remain. Uh, may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for things excuse me, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. So it made me go to Moses, and what led me to this is that, and for God is a consuming fire. He's going to burn away all the other crap in our life. He's going to shake. And, and when we're shaken, and when everything's burned away, what remains? The only thing that can remain throughout anything, through any trial or tribulation, is anything that is covered under the blood of Christ. Otherwise, it's crap, it's fluff, it's marshmallows. So I just implore you this morning to, to keep your eyes on Jesus and look towards Jesus and to realize the ultimate race that is worth running. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just I thank you for just, man, <laughs> the opportunity to get up here and share. I, I thank you for the message that, Lord, you just brought to fruition this morning. I had no idea how you would use this. And I pray that people, Father God, will just chew on this and think through it and go read Hebrews 12, read Hebrews 11, Father God, that we might embark upon the true race, Father God, that we might realize who we are as adopted sons, that we might realize and process through suffering and discipline, fatherly chastisement in a different way than we ever have before, knowing that when things are shaken out, Father God, we exist in a consuming fire covered by your Son. And we can have peace with God through your Son, Jesus Christ. Um, Father God, let us run that race this morning. Continue to grant us hope and give us endurance. And let us know, Father God, that you ultimately are making us stronger by breaking us down. In your name I pray, amen.